Well, today we are, uh, we're pausing from the Sermon on the Mount, our, our series we've been going through, just to dive into this Pentecost story and explore it together. So, uh, first a question, have you ever witnessed something that you couldn't explain? Some phenomena or event that made no sense, uh, that you couldn't comprehend, that made you ask, what does this mean? What is really going on here? Well, sometimes when the improbable or the unexplainable happens, uh, it's often the case that this is when people attribute things to God. The police force in Viersen, Germany, took this route not long ago, on May 28th, when their speeding cameras captured this image, that's it, of a driver going well over the speed limit and who would have been issued a ticket for 105 euros. But miraculously, this, is, this actually happened just a couple weeks ago, a dove flew in between the camera and the driver's face at the exact time the photo was snapped. Since the dove hides the driver's face, the police did not have visual proof of the driver and they were not able to issue a ticket, even though they got the license plate. This is really amazing. It is divine intervention. <laughs> On Facebook afterwards, the police, they, they said this. They said it was the Holy Ghost and that the Holy Ghost had placed his symbol, the dove, in front of the camera. The, and I quote, we have understood the sign and leave the speeder in peace at this time. <laughs> However, we associate with it the hope that the protected speeder understands this hint from above as well and, and drives appropriately in the future. It's really happened. Well, what we see here is, is common in our world. When the unexplainable occurs, when something dramatic like this happens that makes no sense, people often say, it must have been God. It was probably God based on the sheer improbability of the event. And on one Pentecost Sunday, a very long time ago, in the early 30s AD, another very improbable event took place that we read about just a moment ago. The disciples were gathered together in a room, and something, something like a mighty rushing wind fills the room. Some sort of fiery tongues, whatever that means, descend over the heads of those gathered, and all of a sudden, they erupt in speech, in languages that they don't understand, that they can't speak. And the author of this story, a man named Luke, and the early Christians attributed the, the cause of the event to the same divine agent that the German police officers attributed their divine event to last month, the Holy Spirit. But how did, they, how did the disciples come to this conclusion? How did they know it was the Holy Spirit? Did they have any better grounds than just the sheer improbability and strangeness of what happened? Were they just appealing to God because nothing else made sense? The question that everyone was asking that day is in verse 12, and it is so appropriate, and I imagine it's the same question many of you are asking today when you hear this passage. What does this mean? What, what does it mean? And the first thing we have to consider as we, as we ask, what does this mean, and we try to figure it out together is to think about where this passage is written. Where do we find it? Um, and, and it's in a large volume in, in the New Testament. It's a two-volume book call, called Luke-Acts. So it's the Gospel of Luke and Acts is one book. And this little passage is right in the middle of it. And in this book, uh, the author, Luke, he was a physician, he tells us very clearly what sort of accounts, what he's trying to write. He's not telling parables He's not trying to gloss over normal stories with a supernatural glaze or something. 
His truth claims and his research methods, he clearly lays out at the beginning of his book, at the beginning of Luke. This is what he says. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have, de have delivered them to us. And it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So this means Luke has been hired by a wealthy patron uh, named Theophilus to do some research, to do interviews and travel around and put together an account of the strange happenings in Palestine in the early 30s AD. To examine the evidence, he talked to eyewitnesses, and he wrote an orderly account, and that's what we have. And, and remember, this account of Pentecost Sunday is embedded right in the middle of the work, based off the eyewitness testimonies of the folks he talked to. Therefore, we have to honestly listen to this story for what it is, and ask what might have actually gone, here, gone on here. At least these people who he talked to experienced this strange event. What did the Christians actually experience that caused Peter right afterwards to preach a sermon whereby 3,000 people responded in faith and were baptized on that day? What happened? Is there a chance, is there just a chance that the Spirit of God may have actually descended, may have actually entered into the lives and hearts of people and changed their lives and the trajectory of history forever? Is there a chance that this is the right explanation? Well, let's see together. Uh, we're going to read the passage one more time, Acts 2, 1 to 13. And I don't have a Bible with me. Does anyone have a Bible? <laughs> Preacher faux pas, wow. I apologize. <laughs> okay, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And the divided tongues of, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at, the sound, the multi at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Well, our guiding question today is going to come right from the passage from verse 12. Why does Pentecost Sunday matter? What does it mean? Why does it matter? And it matters because, we'll explore three things why it matters. It matters because we're in the last days. We'll talk about that in a minute. We're in the last days. Jesus Christ really is Lord over all the earth. 
And the Holy Spirit is our gift and is God's empowering presence to us. So, for, so the first reason Pentecost Sunday matters is that we are in the last days. The last days. What does that mean? What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that the world will likely end on the year 2025 at midnight. So get ready. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's, that's, not, that's not what it means. Um, I'm not talking about projecting the date of the end of the world or anything weird like that. Don't worry. Um, Scripture is quite clear that only God in heaven knows the end of time and the end of the world, and he doesn't intend to share that with anyone anytime soon, so I don't know. Uh, What I am saying is that the New Testament consistently describes the time of the church that we live in now, uh, after Jesus' ascension and Pentecost Sunday, until Jesus returns again as the last days of this age. In fact, Peter, uh, he's the first to say this. On Pentecost Day, and he preaches a sermon right after this event happens. He stands up and he preaches a sermon and he tries to explain what went on, which is incredibly helpful to us in figuring out what this is, what this is happening. Um, and first thing he says, he says, no, these men aren't drunk, so get that out of your minds. Um, I'll tell you what's happening. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the marker that we are in the final days of the age. Peter goes on to quote Joel, the prophet Joel, chapter 2, to help explain the experience. We read the Joel passage earlier. Uh, But here's Peter quoting Joel in Acts chapter 2. Peter says, "For For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. That means 9 a.m. in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Peter's saying, remember the prophet Joel? Remember what he foretold, that when the Messiah comes, the one we've been waiting for, and the end of the age draws near, The Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh. Peter's saying, remember that? Well, look, it's happened. He's a Hebrew, and he knows the story. He knows what's meant to happen when God comes in full. And what he's just seen on Pentecost Sunday, these strange happenings with the disciples, it's setting off all sorts of bells in his memory and in his mind. What is it? What what happens when fire shows up in strange places where it's not meant to be? Well, he's thinking of Moses encountering the burning bush. What was happening there? He was on holy ground. He was in God's presence. What does a sound like a mighty rushing wind suggest? He's thinking of Ezekiel and his experience of God's presence, that a stormy wind enfolded by fire signaled to Ezekiel that God's presence was here, that the breath, the wind of the Spirit that hovered over the waters of creation is present. Peter knows these things. And he's just watched fire descend on the disciples. He's heard something like a mighty rushing wind sweeping through the room. And he's heard those gathered together, men and women, young and old, speaking in languages that they didn't comprehend. But others around did understand. And what they heard was the proclamation of the gospel of the mighty works of God. And this is what, when Joel uses the word prophesy, this is what he's talking about. 
what will come out of, of people's mouths, old and young, young alike, when the Spirit comes. Because at its best, prophecy is proclaiming the mighty works of God in particular ways that anyone can hear it. This is what's going on in this room, and Peter is shocked. He's dumbfounded. So Peter makes the great claim that in these events, the last days have come and God is here in a new way, in a special way. The Spirit of God has been poured out, not drizzled, not dabbed, not not apportioned one by one, but poured out like the heavens pour out rain in a tropical storm. And we celebrate Pentecost today. We continue to celebrate it as the church because God has poured out His Spirit on us. And it's this gift that He has given us that empowers us to live in His kingdom. It's what enables us. It's what gives us breath and life as the church to know our sin and to know His grace and to live boldly in the world. Without the gift of the Spirit coming in us and enlivening us, the church is dead. It's only because we have the Spirit of God alive with us that we can do any of this. This is what it means that we are in the last days. We are in the last days until Jesus Christ returns. So no, we don't prophesy a doomsday, but we do believe that Christ will return again. And he will come as a king and as a judge to inaugurate his kingdom in, in, in full. It started, but he's going to come and bring it in full and to establish a new heaven and a new earth and bring all of his creation to perfection. And knowing that we live in the last days is crucial for the life of the church. It's important for us to know this. Because the events of Pentecost mean that since the days are short, we can walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, as Paul talks about in Galatians. We can live as signposts pointing through a fog, insisting that a whole new way of things are coming, that the way of the world is right now isn't the last word, that the full reign of Jesus Christ is at hand and we are markers towards that reality. And we don't have to submit to the rulers and the authorities and the demands of our secular age because we've been doused, we've been washed, we've been cleansed by the Spirit, and we are free to live according to, to bear witness to that and to bear witness to the fruits of the kingdom, the sort of fruits that we're studying in the Sermon on the Mount. We're free to do that because we're in the last days of the Spirit. Well, the second reason Pentecost matters is that it proclaims that Jesus Christ is Lord over all nations. It's significant that when the Spirit falls in this story, the disciples begin to speak of the gospel of God in all languages. Now, Luke tells us that all who are, all who are gathered there that begin to speak in tongues, they are Jews, but this makes sense because they're gathered in Jerusalem for a Jewish feast, for Pentecost. That's why they're there. But as the rest of the book of Acts makes clear, the message of the gospel and the gift of the Spirit will not be, will not be limited by tongue or tribe or race or nation. Here's what Luke reports again happening. He says, the languages and people groups, um, well, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll read that again for you. Um, verse 6 says, and the sound that the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, 
Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, even visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. I read all those again. You've heard them now three times. You may feel like that's redundant. But I read them all again because it's an affirmation that every one of these people groups God cares about. God wanted each and every one to hear the good news of the gospel in their own tongue and in their native language. The languages listed and the people groups listed cover the Greco-Roman world situated in the Mediterranean. Uh, Luke is going through categorically and naming the different parts of the empire and saying everyone's represented, everyone from their known world. It's comprehensive. Uh, East to the Caspian Sea, south to North Africa, north up to Rome. And on Pentecost, Jews from east and west, from all these places, they're hearing the good news of Jesus Christ preached. It's for all of the world. Much earlier in the story of God's people, this may remind you of a different story of language. At the beginning, in Genesis 11, God uses language to divide. At Babel, you may remember, the people of the earth sought to build towers to the heavens in order to glorify their name and their strength above God. At this time, God confused their language as a means of grace. But on Pentecost, the opposite happened. He brought their languages together as a means of grace. And he reversed this curse of Babel. So God unites the language of people. He loosens the tongues of the Jews present in order to open the ears of those all all over the world so that they might know that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a unifying experience that all the nations are welcome. It's another sign. It's another signifier that God is doing something new on Pentecost. But third... And finally, Pentecost matters because we have God's empowering presence with us today, all the time. It's because of Pentecost that we as Christians can rightly say the phrase that God is with us. Jesus was God's presence on earth, walking around in Palestine. And that's why demons shuddered when they saw him, why the disciples worshipped him, why the powers of the age crucified him. But Pentecost was Jesus' final act of direct ministry on earth until he comes again, sending his spirit. Jesus had promised uh, to the disciples that he would send send the gift of the spirit before he was crucified so that they would continue to have God's empowering presence with them once Jesus in, in bodily form wasn't with them anymore. And at Pentecost, He came through on this promise. At Pentecost, he he gave his spirit. And it's not exactly at Pentecost that Jesus sort of passed the baton to the spirit to take over, to keep on working, and then Jesus goes up to heaven and he'll come back later for the final victory lap. Uh, It's not quite how it works. It's a little different. At Pentecost, Jesus grants the gift of the spirit to his followers, but he says that it will be better for them if the spirit comes and dwells with them. Because with the Spirit, we have the presence of God always abiding with us. Jesus was able to do so much in person, but he says, actually, with the Spirit, you're all in my presence all the time if you are in me. So Jesus doesn't pass off the baton and then go go up to heaven for a snooze. Uh, he He gives the gift of the Spirit and continues working and acting in partnership with the Spirit right on up to today. 
He continues to be the God who is with us and for us, who knows our burdens and shoulders them with us, who intercedes on our behalf always, who leads us towards truth, who enables us to do the work to, to do good works by his grace. This is absolutely core to our faith. This is a central belief of our faith. And it is through the Holy Spirit that God does these things. The Spirit is God who is present, who's present right here, right now, with us in the nitty-gritty of life. And again, Pentecost matters because it is, it is because of this experience, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit being poured out, that we, that we know this is true. And it's not, it's not just in a sentimental way that God is with us all the time. It's not a Hallmark card sort of way that uh, just gives us some unremarkable words to say when we don't have anything else to say. No, the Christian affirmation is that when God poured out his spirit on Pentecost, he poured it all out. He gave it all to us. He didn't hold any back. And he's opened up this ability to dwell with him and his people at all times. And so we can truly say that God is with us in our most joyful moments, in our celebrations. I was at a wedding yesterday, and we can say uh, with a bride and a groom that God is here rejoicing over you at any joyful moment, at a celebration for a friend or a Thanksgiving meal. But it's also true we can say that God is with us in our most trying moments, when we face deep disappointment about how life is maybe turning out against our expectations or grieving the loss of a loved one. Yes, God is with us then too. We can rightly say that. But it's not even the highs and the lows either. It's also the mundane moments in the middle, most days, when we're sitting on the bus, when we're waiting in the waiting room at the doctor's office, when we're checking our email, when we're daydreaming at church. Right now. God is still present with you, if you're not paying attention until I said that. God is present with us, and the Holy Spirit is here regardless of any of those things because of Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Gordon Fee, who's a Pentecostal scholar uh, who has a deep love for the Holy Spirit, he wrote a thousand-page scholarly volume on the Holy Spirit. I think he's the only person to ever do that. Uh, He says the empowering presence of the Spirit means this. The Spirit means the presence of great power, power to overflow with hope, power sometimes attested by signs and wonders, and at other times by joy and great affliction. But precisely because the Spirit has not brought the final end, but only its beginning, power does not mean final perfection in the present age, but rather leads to maturity in Christ. God's presence with us is powerful. Sometimes this is attested by irregular signs, like the sound of mighty winds, like tongues of fire descending. Other times the Spirit's power works other miracles. Miracles like providing hope amidst despair. Miracles like sparking joy amidst great suffering. What Gordon Fee is saying is that whatever the Spirit works, this work will always, we know it's the Spirit, because it will always lead us to maturity in Christ. Not perfection until the final end comes, but maturity, growing maturity. 
because it's by living maturely in Christ in these last days of the age that we witness to the age to come, that we witness to the kingdom of God, and that others can taste and see that the Lord is good. It's the Spirit that gives us freedom to live in the power of eternity right now. It's the Spirit that opens up transformation in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, in what we have done and what we have left undone as we confess every, every week together. It's the Spirit that enables any transformation to happen. It's the Spirit that bears the good fruit, the, the fruit of the kingdom in us, and works in us a yearning and a hunger for the kingdom of God. It's the Spirit that draws us to God's presence and sparks in us desires for the good and the beautiful, the things of God. It is a simple and profound prayer that we can pray every single day and that we'll pray also today together uh, to simply say, Lord, fill me and overflow me with your Spirit today. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. It's a really simple prayer, but one of the most powerful things that we as Christians can ask God every single day as we start our days, knowing that He hears us and that He will answer. Uh, to be clear, if, you have, if you've repented of your sins and you've turned to Christ in faith as your Lord and Savior, then God has given you His Spirit. He has sealed you with His Spirit as a marker, uh, as, as, a, as, a protective, um, as a protective sign to mark you until eternity. He's done that. God doesn't withhold Himself from anyone who has come to Him in faith. So when we pray this, we're not asking for, for something new or, or, or different from the fact that God is already with us. But we can still pray and ask for refreshment, for greater awareness, for a special anointing and time with, with the Spirit, like we can in anyone with relationship. We can ask for uh, a special time uh, to meet with the Spirit and to be refreshed by Him. We can ask for, for particular giftedness, uh, for deliverance or healing or for miraculous intervention. There's nothing wrong for asking for these things in faith. But when we do ask for these sort of things, we're always acknowledging that whether our requests are granted as we are hoping for, as we, have, as we might have in mind, or whether God in his kindness answers us and draws us to him in another way, that the work of the Spirit is always a work that draws us to maturity in Christ. We know the Spirit is present. We know the Spirit is working when he is drawing us to Jesus and to his presence. Because where his presence is, there is freedom, and that freedom leads us and brings us to eternal life.